0: This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at MediaWeek.com.au. Hey there, folks. You are listening to the Media Week Podcast. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm the Deputy Editor here for Media Week. Now, I'm joined here in our studio today with David Clinch. Uh, you're the global news editor for Storyful. Um, David, welcome to Australia and welcome to Media Week.
1: Thank you very much. I'm thrilled to be here. My first time ever in Australia.
0: Yeah. Now, I am enthused to talk to you because you'll be able to solve the greatest mystery that I've been trying to wrap my mind around for the last, I don't know, three to four years now. What on earth is Storyful?
1: What the hell is Storyful? Excellent question. Storyful is a news agency. Uh, Emily Bell from Columbia has kindly dubbed us the AP of the 21st century. Mm. But the difference between a traditional news agency and Storyful is that we find, verify, and get rights clearance for user-generated content. So that is the difference between an AP and a Reuters that is dealing with professional content or content that's a handout. We're dealing with user-generated content or content that originates on the web. And the the original uh, idea for Storyful came when I was at CNN and Mark Little, uh, the founder, was at RTE. We were both traditional journalists well into our careers, in fact, at the height of our careers. And we saw the opportunity... And the challenge of finding uh, web video, web content, web information, tweets, all of these things were out there. How did you find them? How did you know that they were real? And how did you get the right to use them? And so that was the original challenge that we set out to solve with Storyful.
0: Yeah. Now, immediate verifications a uh, passion point of yours, as I understand yes. it. Uh, so in this day and age where everything moves so quickly, how can you really guarantee verification?
1: Well, we guarantee verification because we are forensic and we are uh, channeling my own personality obsessive about these things. We absolutely never stop and we never give up. Uh, And I can give you some concrete examples of how during very recent breaking news stories, uh, huge portions of the media uh, organizations around the world, professional news organizations that have reputations and tell you all the time that they are the best at what they do, ripped content off the web without any verification at all, without any permission from the original owner, and either got permission from people who clearly did not own the content or didn't even bother asking for permission and just put up some kind of attribution to make themselves feel better, whereas they might as well have just put, I found this on WhatsApp because they had no idea where it came from. Whereas we at Storyful obsessively, forensically look into every single piece of important content and we don't stop until we found the owner.
0: Yeah, now there's been a very strong rise in the last say maybe five, six years of fact-checking organizations that have really sort of got a lot of prominence at the moment. And you've obviously placed a lot of importance on verification. What do you think's behind this rise? Like, why is it right now that we're so concerned about the truth behind what we're reading?
1: Right. Well, I think there are two answers to that. Uh, one is that I think that the just the amount of content that's out there is just incredibly large at this point. It used to be just a sort of a side issue, web content, user-generated content was something that you sort of had to pay attention to but didn't really want to. But now you have to every time, all the time, 24-7. So just the amount of content. But then secondly, and this may not be the obvious answer to your question, is Mm. that it's a business. And the reason that we, Storyful, are the gold standard and we're successful is that we're not, and I'm not being condescending about this, but we're not some... Uh, non-profit fact-checker that's doing this just out of the goodness of our hearts. This is the future of media and the future of journalism, or at least a very important part of it, as far as I'm concerned and Storyful is concerned, because user-generated content, web content, eyewitness content, whatever you want to call it, is an essential part of journalism, but it is also something from which you can make a lot of money. If you do it right, because we like to talk only about fact-checking on the side of hard news and breaking news, but you have to fact-check the viral videos, too. You have to fact-check everything, and if you do fact-check them, and if you do the other level, which a lot of other people don't do, which is rights clearance and actually get permission to use that content, it can transform your business. So it's not just keeping your reputation intact because you're doing things the right way. It's also potentially creating a whole new set of, uh, of con- content source for you.
0: Yeah. How important is it from an audience perspective that people are engaged in fact checking and actually verifying this? So, I'm thinking about the massive rise that, and we'll sort of look at it through like maybe a US lens, but we're starting to see this in Australia a lot as well, with lots of people going to fringe websites for their news and getting news which isn't verified, which is, you know, I'm thinking about like maybe anti vaxxers, for example. Yep. Okay. You're seeing the rise of people getting their news and information from the non traditional media because the traditional media can't be trusted. Now, obviously, Storyful is positioning itself as a just as much a part of like the traditional media sort of narrative. Yes. Like Mainstream media is now Storyful, to an yes, extent. Yes,
1: absolutely. And we did not start Storyful to destroy journalism or no. uh, destroy uh, the news industry. We disrupted, and that's what we wanted to do, but we wanted to disrupt in order to sustain. And I think that the answer to your question is, uh, you know why is this such a a popular thing now in fact checking, but more importantly, does the audience care? I don't know that the audience does care. It depends (laughs) on what the audience is. I mean, an audience that is going out there and getting its information from the web without doing any verification itself. And and by audience, I mean anyone, any person that's seeing something on the web and not doing even basic, uh, you know, asking basic questions or doing any sort of uh, checking to see whether their source is correct is being irresponsible. And uh, I'm not embarrassed to ever tell somebody who tells me I saw it on the web that they're being irresponsible if they didn't fact check and they didn't contextualize. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. That would be like saying, you know, I printed an incredibly important story on the front page of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, and only 500,000 people read it. Well, maybe they're the most important 500,000 people in the world, and our audience, my audience at Storyful, our audience is journalism, and is journalists, and is the news industry. It is their responsibility to then take that fact checking and verification and transmit it to an audience that does care. Are you? if you're asking me is there a huge amount of the audience out there that doesn't care yes but that's the battle that's the fight every day and we're not going to stop just because there are people out there that don't care
0: yeah I'm suddenly thinking about US presidential candidate Donald Trump who hears a lot of things and takes a lot of information from sort of fringe media yes yeah
1: he does and I, I mean I try to stay out of politics as much as I possibly can but having lived <laughs> yeah, good in America luck. for so long time <laughs> for such a long time it's not possible but you know, if you follow, as I know you do, you know, the same media people that I follow and CNN and Kara, you know, says that she stays out of uh, politics.
0: Kara Swisher, who we had in the studio yeah, a short sorry, while ago. Yeah, sorry, apologies.
1: But yeah, Kara, who, who is, you know, on my media list. But if you look on that media list and you look at Brian Stelter and David Falkenflick and all of the media people who are following this uh, uh, political cycle in the United States right now. Fact-checking is a huge part of the way in which they are taking a critical approach to Donald Trump. But I will also say fact-checking is also a very important part of the critical approach that they're taking to Hillary Clinton's campaign as well. And, you know, we are in politics as well because we're looking at political content and those moments on the trail when somebody takes a video of somebody saying the wrong thing. And that used to be the biggest thing that you were looking for. But now somebody says the wrong thing all the time so much that it's almost impossible to find anything that will make a difference. But again that doesn't mean you should stop. Just because everybody is bending the truth or you know saying things that are unverified doesn't mean that you just give up and you stop checking because nobody else is going to do it unless journalists do it.
0: Yeah. Now, I'm thinking at the moment about Facebook, of whom has become such a strong voice in news and the flow of news information. How do you adjust storyful content so that you're actually a part of that conversation?
1: Well, first of all, full disclosure, we have a business relationship with Facebook because on a very small scale, we help to curate content on the Facebook newswire. And so that is, you should know that up front. Mm. Um, So we are not just standing back. We are partnering with Facebook, as we have done with other platforms over the years, because unlike most news organizations, we have the benefit and the the ability to actually work on both sides. We work with the news industry, but we also work with the platforms. Um, But it's a great question. Facebook is a huge you know, whale in the room of, of, of where everybody is seeing their content, how content is distributed and now increasingly, uh, just as Facebook predicted when they started working with us on the Facebook Newswire, it is a source of content. I'm not sure anyone really truly believed that a few years ago but mm. those people who said, oh, you know, stuff doesn't happen on Facebook, it only originates on Twitter, were wrong then and they've definitely been proven wrong. Content emerges on Facebook all the time. Now, Is it always good, shiny, happy content? No. I mean, sometimes horrible things emerge. And so there is a constant journalistic, ethical uh, decision-making process that goes on all the time about what's on the platform, which is their decision about what stays on the platform and what doesn't. But what's important is what Storyful and what journalists uh, uh, have as their job to find is what's important on Facebook. There's no problem finding things that are interesting on Facebook, but journalism is not about finding interesting things and making them important. It's about finding important things and making them interesting. And maybe the better answer to your question is that that's actually a great, great part of Facebook that I think people underestimate, is that you now have the ability to hit an audience in their own stream, in their most sort of accessible mode when they're literally just scrolling through and get accurate, interesting stories and information in front of them in a way that, as a journalist, you might never have had in the past.
0: Yeah, now, I just want to talk about maybe you as well, just, you know, the man, the myth, the legend. Um, at the moment, you're in Australia and you're probably operating on a different time zones of what you're usually operating I in. Uh, you're not necessarily seeing, seeing the same news feed just constantly coming in. And you're also on holidays. You took a leisurely walk from your hotel a short while ago and yes, you've come to the office I here. I did. I went for a run around the opera house
1: yesterday. Yeah. yeah
0: so. Do you feel a disconnect when you're in situations like this?
1: uh not i, I don 't know if I feel a disconnect because I live a very global lifestyle, no yeah. matter where I am in the world and i 'm very hard man to track down because I travel all the time and I work remotely and i you know I, we have offices all over the world, and also you know I was born in England, grew up in Ireland, and now I live in the United States. I have always had and I still have a very global perspective, but having said that, there is no replacement just like when I worked at CNN there is absolutely no replacement for you know getting your feet on the ground in a different part of the world and getting to see the perspective uh, so it, you know there's a joke at Storyful that when I uh, when the Sydney office wakes up every morning and it's towards the end of my day on the east coast in the United States mm. I always jokingly say do you have any shark videos for me today because that's <laughs> the cliche sort of you know joke version of what I am expecting to get and to see from Australia every day yeah and I'm not completely joking because you can in fact make great stories and certainly get great video and make Quite a bit of money out of shark videos. So but,
0: well, we have ju- a newspaper in the Northern Territory that do a great hay out of alligator. Or yeah, crocodile absolutely. Things. Yeah. And I
1: don't think you should you should underestimate how interested and fascinated people are with Australian culture, including all of the uh, dangerous animals that you can that can kill you here. But. And there Uh, uh, are everywhere. Exactly. I'm amazed you missed the drop bears on the way in. Yeah, well, exactly. But uh, having said that, you know, I had a uh, probably a lot more sophisticated uh, understanding of Australian culture than most people who've never been here, but I had still never been here. So to come here and get off the plane and spend an entire day listening to people talking about the census on on TV (laughs) and, and, you know, reading it on the front page of the newspaper and to see exactly how obsessed Australians are with the Olympics, which I sort of knew before Obviously, since the Sydney Olympics, but I don't think I had a full appreciation of exactly how <laughs> obsessed they are. Um, both of those things are fascinating to me, but also just the geography of the country and, and uh, the cultural mix here in Sydney. All of those things are uh, uh, help me help will help me inform my understanding of what's happening here, what's important, and the context. And I think it's always interesting to me. And again, it goes back to when I worked at CNN and I used to go and work in bureaus around the world. It then helped me do two things know what the people who I was talking to at the other end were seeing and thinking themselves, because I had a little bit more insight into that, but also to help them sometimes understand that something that was happening in their own country was actually of great interest outside of Australia, and that they might not have seen that before, because sometimes you're just too close to the story, and you don't realize that other people will be interested in in the story as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, you've mentioned CNN a couple of times. You did leave the job as the global news editor yes. for CNN. And you did mention at the beginning that it was really sort of the height of your career. So why make the move?
1: Uh, don't
0: ask my wife that
1: question. <laughs> she almost killed me when, when, we, when I decided to leave. I just, it was a sort of a now or never moment. And I will say that... Uh, My bosses at at the time at CNN were incredibly supportive of my efforts within CNN to try and harness the power of social media. We had what we call an insurgency at the time of people dotted throughout CNN who saw the future of how important social media was and was going to be. And we tried our best to build something. But we were a little bit ahead of our time, and the bosses at the time were not completely ready to embrace it. Although if you look now at CNN, mm. you will see that that has completely changed.
0: The last uh, like 18 months for CNN, it's a radically absolutely. different company.
1: It's, it's, they, they, have, they have done a very, very good job of doing two things really well. Television news, which they do and will continue to do very, very well. Mm. And Jeff Zucker, who runs CNN in the US, is a genius at television. I don't always agree with his decisions, but mm. he gets an audience, and they're doing that incredibly well. And then he has been smart enough to hire people who know what they're doing on the digital side and, and harness the power of social in news gathering, in distribution, in all of those things. And that is a model for what a lot of media companies will be doing. And one of the things I'll be talking about here at at Storiology during the week in Australia because that is in a way a model that some uh, other markets like Australia that maybe are a little bit behind in the U.S. can look at very closely.
0: Yeah, now as a global news editor for something like CNN, that was your job title, wasn't it?
1: I was uh, an international editor. International
0: yeah, editor, yeah. sorry. Now that was obviously within CNN Ten and Turner the US. Didn't allow you to use the word foreign. You had to. Use oh, the word really? International. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Ted Turner once. It was yeah. Yeah, a thrill seeing Easy the moustache. Yes. yeah now, in that role, you're obviously based in the U.S., so would you be working for CNN, the U.S. broadcaster at that stage, or were you also involved in the international version of No, CNN? actually,
1: that was a fantastic training for what we do now at Storyful, and, mm. and uh, you know, it was the best job in the world. And you asked me why I left, and, and sometimes I, I think, you know, why did I leave? Because <laughs> it was the best job in the world. Yeah. Although the department that I worked with doesn't exist in the same form exactly anymore, but it was centralized news gathering, which meant that if you worked... Uh, for programming and production, for international, for CNN, domestic, U.S., all of those, they all had to come through this centralized assignment desk, essentially, for for any reporting that they wanted. So if Christiane Amanpour was off in Jerusalem and she was doing live feeds or feeding a a piece for camera for all of these different networks, we would coordinate it. So the great uh, education that I got at the University of CNN was this amazing experience of being at the center of the world literally you know you were always the first person to know about what was happening in the world and to be able to then filter that and distribute it across to different networks was a great learning experience for me for what we do now at Storyful where we have hundreds of clients around the world here in Australia in Europe and in uh, in the U.S. all of whom have different needs but when a big breaking news story comes they all come to us
0: yeah now what 's probably the most exciting thing you've been working on at Storyful recently
1: well that 's a good question i 've actually taken on a new role uh, or, or added a role to my uh, to my uh, uh, tasks at, at Storyful, which is that we 're concentrating a lot now. Uh, in the past when a breaking news story happened and hard news happened we would not often license content. We would clear it for air, we would verify that it was real and we would get permission for it to be used. But now we're finding that there are so many cases where a person who posted a piece of video, I'll give you a concrete example the other day there was an Emirates plane crash in Dubai. You Mm. probably saw the video that was going around of people uh, trying desperately, panicking on the plane and trying to get their baggage and get off the plane. Well that was the example I was using the other day that every news organization ripped that off and just used it from somebody who posted it on Twitter who clearly didn't own it. So we, my new role is to take a, an even more focused uh, approach to finding and licensing that content and licensing in order to protect it because the person who actually owns that content is getting ripped off. Somebody stole their content and it's out there being used by everyone. So what we do now in this news licensing role is we don't license a lot of news content, but we make absolutely sure that when something like that happens that we find the original person, which we did, 17-year-old girl who happened to live in upstate New York who had flown from India to Dubai and then flew on to home in the U.S. We tracked her down. Her and her brother had filmed this video. We got permission to use it and we were able to go back to every news company and tell them we have the real piece of video. And the exciting thing to answer your question is that the purpose of that is that we get to protect it for them on their behalf. Um, If there's revenue to be made, We help them make that revenue. But we also do what Storyful is designed to do. The the story in our name is we then bring you far more than just a piece of video. You get to actually talk to the people who were there, who were the people on the plane trying to grab their baggage, and who happened to live in the U.S. So for U.S. news networks, and obviously global ones as well, that's a whole extra part of the story.
0: That's a bit of a unicorn find in a way. Exactly. I
1: mean, if you just look at these things as a piece of video that you just throw up on the web, on, on TV or on the web, you're missing the point. Behind every piece of video like that is a person who is closer to the story than you are, and they can tell you the story in a way that the video in and of itself cannot. So, the most exciting thing I'm involved in at the moment is that. Although, there is also a part of the business that I'm not directly involved in, but I think is very exciting, which again goes to this future of media and future of news um, mantra that we have at the moment, which is that. We want to help news companies sustain and user-generated content is part of that. But the other thing that I don't think media and news companies think about a lot is you also need advertising in order to support your business. And in the past, that meant that you had to go out to advertisers and just wait for them to, you know, give you ads which would go on your your website or on TV. One of the things that we've taken the approach uh, on in recent months and years is that there need to be better ads. And, I mean, this is a... You may not have heard this phrase being used by news people a lot, but this is is coming, and Australia needs to pay attention to it, is that if you just think that people are going to watch traditional ads on television, maybe they do at the moment, but that's going to end. Mm. If you think they're going to read them in newspapers, maybe they do at the moment, but that's going to end. And if you think they're going to read or look at crappy ads on the web, that also either is not going to happen or will end. And one of the challenges is to make better ads, make ads that people will actually watch. And that's an effort that we're getting very closely involved in right now.
0: Define better. So are we talking about more personalized ads or are we talking about more sophisticated ads in terms of audience reach?
1: Both of those things in some ways, but honestly, it's really not that complicated because uh, and I, when I say better ads I mean that's just the term that I use but what I mean is an ad that somebody will actually watch right mm. and so what, one of the approaches that we've taken uh, at Storyful here in Australia as a great example is that we're working with brands who say, say to their agencies uh, we want to make ads that people will watch right so they come to us and they say what can you do for us and our argument or our pitch to them is we're not going to tell you that we have videos that people might watch we're going to tell you that we have videos that people do watch by the millions they're they're viral trending cool amazing pieces of video of volcanoes sharks you know whatever it is they're amazing pieces of video which if you saw it in your facebook feed you would stop and you would look at it and so what we do is we get the permission of the owners not just for it to be used on news but we go back to them in some cases and say Uh, can we have permission for that to be used in an ad, right? And I'll give you another concrete example. If you go on the web and search Hippo Charge on YouTube, you will see a video that we found and verified of this hippo chasing a boat in a river in Africa. Amazing video, which you could watch dozens of times. I'm responsible for (laughs) thousands of the millions of views that it has, because it's amazing. Apple approached us looking for exactly that kind of thing. This video was shot on an iPhone, and that video is now part of the Apple, you know, filmed on an iPhone yep. ad series that is watched globally, right? And that person who filmed that made a significant amount of revenue out of that, and, and we did for brokering that. But the ad cost significantly less than a normal ad would cost you to make because you don't have to have the cruise and the, you know, proje- production and all of those things. Mm. That is a better ad why is it a better ad because every time it comes on the television people stop and they look at it they don't fast forward through it every time it's in somebody's facebook feed they stop and they look at it and it has a whole new millions of views in the form of an app that's a better ad
0: yeah i have watched that ad a lot yeah <laughs> uh, just going back to the example of the young lady on the aeroplane yes news moves so quickly these days that I am wondering about the time turnaround so by the time that you're actually able to talk to her get the clearance and have that actually automated is it too late then for a lot of news stories
1: uh it is too late in the sense that if people were being truly, truly ethical, they probably wouldn't have used the video at all. Mm. But I have I have an understanding, and I, I realize that you know that's not acceptable. Yeah. This is news. There's no ethics. Yeah. They, yeah. They, well, it's not just that there are no ethics. I sympathize that that you know fair use and other things come into play. However the real answer to your question is it's too late in a sense to you know have their name and identity in real time although we obviously do that all the time when we happen to access that information immediately but in this case you know we couldn't go back and undo what had been done but we did go back and make sure that license fees were paid for the use of the video even though it had been ripped off originally but more importantly we made sure that people had access to their telephone numbers and their emails and everything else so that they could contact them and interview them they were then interviewed on a number of news uh, news outlets. So, I don't think it's ever too late. At least not for Storyful, is it ever too late to make sure that uh, something is real? No, no less or no more than it is too late to ever know for sure that something is fake I mean for instance you may have heard of the story re- recently of the agency here in Australia that made a bunch of fake videos do you, yeah, you know the other one I'm talking yeah, about I know it. series and the, the the moment that we first saw that I first saw that video of a a guy jumping into Sydney Harbour and seeing a, a shark coming straight at him, I knew absolutely that it was fake. My yeah. gut immediately told me he, it me. You can fake. tell. We weren't necessarily, I mean, good for them. They made a great fake. We weren't mm. able to prove it forensically as quickly <laughs> as possible, but we did eventually through patching through all sorts of different forensic uh, processes that we have and other partners of ours as well were able to look at it and some other videos that they made. And so eventually we just... Yeah, uh, you know, told all of our news partners just watch out for this account and for these people. They're making fake. We don't know why they're yeah. making fake <laughs> videos, but they are making fake videos, and that's helpful because, you know, I think going back to one of your other questions about do people care? News organisations should care. They really should care about their opinions, uh, the opinion that people have about them. They should care about their reputation, and getting it right does count. It may not feel like it in the heat of the moment in news or, you know, when you throw a viral video up and hope it's real, it may not, you may not think it matters. But over an extended period of time, especially in a world where people don't trust the media anyway, if you just keep doing that and you keep making a fool of yourself or abusing or using incorrect content, you will lose your reputation.
0: Now, David, I believe you're getting into podcasts.
1: Well, that's right. Storyful has just started a particular sort of group within our team, Uh, mostly in Dublin, but in some of the other offices as well, have been fascinated by the spread and the growth of podcasts. So They're huge in the U.S., I'm assuming they are, in other markets as well. And it's not something that we ever thought naturally would work with Storyful because we're basically a video agency, but we have a lot of people who work with us who used to work in radio, and they're seeing this as the future of the way in which people can communicate and hear and listen to things that they're interested in. And a lot of what we do at Storyful is fascinating to people, the whole process of verification and the stories and and the things that we encounter in our jobs. And so we've started a Storyful podcast, which uh, began actually with a series about the Olympics and what we saw last time in the Olympics compared to what we're seeing this time in terms of what type of content is emerging, the restrictions that exist... Uh, and it was great, and I'm loving, I'm absolutely loving what our podcast is doing. I've been featured in a couple of episodes so far, so uh, it's a very exciting new area for us. Not something that I would have imagined we would ever do because we concentrate on video, but it's f- fascinating and it gives an, an extra outlet for our journalists. And I definitely think it's something that a lot of media and news companies should explore because if they have people who are interested in doing a podcast, it's a great outlet for your,
0: uh, for your journalism now people wanting to find it to search for Storyful
1: yes search for Storyful it's the first and only thing that pops up
0: fantastic I just want to close this off with one thing which is that about a week and a half ago I started following you on Twitter and it's a really great feed Um, Uh I'm yeah I'm very glad about this I apologize I tweet a lot but I did notice, I just loaded up your Twitter feed a moment ago, one of the most recent tweets, and you do tweet a lot, but there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, but one of the things you did was just the photo of your welcome pack from the Walkleys, which I'm looking here, the photo you've snapped here, which is a jar of Vegemite, uh, some Tim Tams, and a BuzzFeed News, that is a t-shirt? Yeah, it,
1: it's, it came in a BuzzFeed News bag.
0: As a bag. Storiology, which is the <laughs>
1: conference I'm attending this week, left a very nice welcome bag, BuzzFeed News bag. With some uh, cliched but typical Australian <laughs> gifts in there, I, I probably will bring them home and give them to my children.
0: Okay, I was wondering if I, the I'm not sure that were... I'm going
1: to take the risk of mixing uh, Tim Tams and, and Vegemite while I'm here.
0: But, yeah, uh, uh, I'll stick with the Vegemite, but the Tim Tams are onto a good <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah, stop by the Coles on the way past and get you a few packets. I, I think will, it'll, I will, yeah, I will. Work fine for you. But anyway, David, and people can find you on Twitter at David Clinch News. Yes,
1: and yes. I'm on Facebook as well, David Clinch. If you, I always tell people, if you can't find me, then you don't deserve to be on the <laughs> web because I am very, very easy to find, but
0: yes. Yeah, David, thanks so much for the chat. It's been great. Thank you very much. Great to talk to you. And people should check us out on the web, mediaweek.com.au and of course, follow us on Twitter as well. It's mediaweekaus. Thank you.